Denver Sports Tonight. Welcome in. I am Jake Shapiro, joined by Andrew Mason. It finally stopped raining, Mace, here in Denver. Uh, it's going to be a wet mini camp tomorrow for the rookies. Uh, everything nice and sunny by you? No, it's wet where I am as well. It's wet pretty much everywhere. And the thing is, when it comes to that rookie mini camp, Jake, it used to be the Broncos had a full-on mini camp this weekend, Mother's Day weekend. And I remember every time they would have it this weekend, especially when Mike Shanahan was the coach, it was always raining, always snowing. And that was one reason why eventually Mike got fed up and started having minicamp later in the calendar. One For a couple of years, he even had minicamp in July, which made all the players very happy. So, yeah, it's to me, I look at the wet and I say, it's minicamp weather. It's Broncos weather. It is Broncos weather, but you know what happens when it rains, right, Mace? The sun goes down. The sun goes away. <laughs> and the Phoenix Suns have gone away for the summer. Uh, we're going to talk all Broncos stuff, minicamp, and uh, schedule drop a little bit later with Andrew Mason, obviously Broncos expert, our Broncos guy for denversports.com. But we've got to start on the Denver Nuggets, who had maybe a top 10 win in franchise history last night advancing to the Western Conference Final, beating the Phoenix Suns 4-2 to in a series, just absolutely obliterating them in the first quarter, second quarter, up 30 at halftime to put the Suns on the ropes. Um, Mace, uh, you know, everyone has heard my thoughts on this, and if you haven't, just go watch Coffee Break from today. I'm sure you're in for a treat. Uh, I, I want to know where you're at on this. As a longtime uh, media member in Denver, uh, the, the Nuggets seem to have finally announced themselves to a different level of respectability. Yeah, that, that's the feeling I got. This was, to uh, to use a phrase from Bull Durham, announcing their presence with authority. Um, it was kill a flea with a sledgehammer night last night at Footprint Center. And I can't recall, especially the first half, in a high-stakes environment, I don't know if I can recall the Nuggets playing so well as they did in that first half, so well for a sustained stretch. It was dominant, and it was historically dominant. It's the largest halftime playoff lead the Nuggets had ever had. It's the most, I mean, can you believe that they had the most points, first half points on the road for any team in the history of the playoffs? Yeah, most points by any team on the road in any half in a playoff game. It's incredible. It's just, I mean, this was... This was a this was a statement of intentions, and I think uh, even though it obviously you know it may not be well noticed by the uh, the Lakers or Warriors at least not today. Now, if the Lakers close things out, I'm sure they're gonna uh, go and look at the film. But that was it felt felt like a statement of intentions by the Nuggets. Like like this is you know. This is not the old Nuggets team, the old team that would come up short in the postseason. This is diff- that game, and I, and I felt it a little bit in the first round as well, as well at times. But that was the game. I think they they said, "This is we're different. This is these are not the old these are not the old Nuggets, and this is not going to turn out the same way." You know, and towards the end of the regular season, I was talking about this, how the Nuggets were obviously just resting and, you know, relaxing their way through the end of the regular season. And I thought that the first round, no matter who it was going to be against, they were going to kind of walk into that series. They weren't going to be all the way full on board quite yet. And honestly, it's funny to say this after a gentleman's sweep in which they probably should have still swept the Wolves. It wasn't like the Nuggets team were at a 10. They weren't peaking. For Game 5, in the first 24 minutes of Game 6, that's all they needed last night, Mm -hmm. the Nuggets reached their highest point that they have reached in this season and maybe ever as a basketball team. The perfection of that defensive unit of Aaron Gordon, KCP, Bruce Brown, even Christian Brown and Jeff Green coming off the bench, uh, around Nikola Jokic, one of the great offensive players of all time. 
they absolutely swallowed two of the game's best scorers in Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. I mean, we were talking about how the Suns needed to score 70 points, just get 70 points from that duo every single game, Durant and Booker, at least 70 points. They scored 33 points combined last night. Devin Booker had 12 points in the game. Uh, it, it was embarrassing for the Phoenix Suns for a second year in a row. And honestly, Mace, I could not be happier that it happened to the Suns after <laughs> two years ago. We saw the Denver Nuggets lose to the Suns, and everyone said, oh, Jamal Murray wouldn't have made a difference. We saw Jamal Murray make a difference. And overall, we saw the difference that building the correct pieces around Nikola Jokic can have because the Nuggets of old were not like this. They were not as versatile. They were not as deep. And largely, I, I think this is also maybe more statement, you know, of the whole NBA in general of it's no longer going to be a duo or a trio or a big three that wins you things in the modern NBA. You need one great player, maybe a second great player, if not a very, very good one, surrounded by a cast of guys. The game simply moves too quick. The pace is too high, and, and you can't just get it all done with three guys and then, then a pile that you get off the stock heap. Uh, so I thought this was a statement not only of what the Nuggets' intentions are, like you said, moving forward, but what team building in the NBA is going to look like. It was a big win for many GMs across the league who were preaching continuity to their owner as we head into the summer, and they're trying to go, oh, we need the big move. Continuity seems to have played out for the Nuggets, just like it's playing out for the Miami Heat, who are trying to get back here, and the Boston Celtics. Yeah, not complete continuity, of course, because it, when you were talking about Jamal Murray and the, and the, and the supporting cast, it, it actually got me thinking. Because, of course, the last couple of playoff runs, you didn't have Jamal Murray available. And, you know, because he, he was he got hurt late in the 2021 season and then missed all of 22. So having Jamal Murray back has certainly galvanized this. But in terms of the parts around, how much do you think it helped in terms of getting the right pieces to have KCP instead of will the thrill. Well, and I'm I'm going to start here too Mace because people all the time talk about trading for stars and the Nuggets needed to trade for a star and we heard, you know, people on our airways as recently as a couple of weeks ago talking about how the Nuggets should take a look at Damian Lillard this offseason or blah blah blah. Aaron Gordon was the fourth overall pick in the draft. Like, that was a massive move to go get Aaron Gordon. And, yes, he doesn't have the star power, the cachet as some of these other guys, but you look at his role for the Denver Nuggets and what he was brought in here to do and shutting down big forwards around the league like Kevin Durant, like Luka Doncic, like LeBron James, and he played his role perfectly and maybe better than anyone in the NBA could. I can't imagine someone shutting down Kevin Durant to that level. So, yes continuity from 2020 the bubble it doesn't completely exist because the nuggets added aaron gordon and like you said from last year to this they said oh smack you know we can't guard you know these young or athletic little guards that like to shoot three pointers we need to go get a point of attack on ball defender and kcp was the guy they targeted based off of probably playing him in the bubble in 2020 and seeing some other stuff and they cut a deal with a team that they have a familiar relationship with in the Wizards. And it was a deal that shipped out two guys who were starters on that team last year. Granted, they probably wouldn't be starting this year if they were still on the team. And it was a huge deal. It, 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 can't, be, it can't be told enough about how big of a trade that was for the Nuggets mentality to move away from those two players and also how big of an impact it had. You could make the case that the trade for Contavious Caldwell-Pope was the single biggest move of the offseason across the NBA. And you see last night he goes for a Nuggets uh, high, 21 points. That's his most in a Nuggets jersey. And a career playoff high, 21 points. Uh, it, it was fantastic. And again, it's KCP on Devin Booker. It's Aaron Gordon on Kevin Durant. And we haven't even talked about the offense yet. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we know this, the Tony can sell on, on defense, but then last night coming up big at the offense, offensive end and uh, in and, and early on, I think in the in the first quarter, outscoring both Booker and Durant combined last night. And the it, it just watching that and it, it just 
kind of it kind of hit me, and it, and sometimes it, it hits you when you're watching any sport. But fit matters, and KCP is just a perfect fit in terms of what this team was missing, especially at the defensive end. But the fact that he, but the fact that when you need him to contribute something on offense, he can. The same thing with with Aaron Gordon. If it's a night where you know. Where you know Jokic is a little bit off and Jamal's shots not falling and MPJ shots not falling, you can lean on Aaron Gordon to put in 25 points and 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 that's what that I think is what has made that makes this team so special and why you look at the pieces now and see okay, this is a this is a jigsaw puzzle where everything just appears to fit as it should and it took and think about how many missteps and how many back how, how how many playoff failures and then tweaks on the fringes of and in the depth of the roster it took for the nuggets to reach this point where it actually looks like everyone is in a perfect role for their skill set and their place on the team i mean and there's failures even on this roster the thomas bryan trade the bones highland move yeah. like that didn't work out like there's failures even on this roster of moves but it, it goes to show you this time of year you only really need eight nine guys and while every single night I turn on my TV and I see the Lakers searching for answers off their bench and the Warriors just exploring what they have because they can't figure it out, the Nuggets have stuck with the same eight men the entire playoffs, all 11 games. And it's looked pretty good most nights. Jeff Green's been the biggest question, but that small ball five Aaron Gordon backup look has been incredible. Uh, and, and again, and I want to go into Nicole Jokic's greatness maybe a little bit later uh, because I've got to get some audio for you. But you, you, Jamal Murray coming up big while sick. I mean, I called him the flu arrow. He, he was just incredible <laughs> last night. And I've got texters on the line telling me, oh, they beat the Timberwolves. Who cares? And then they beat a two to three man Phoenix team. Who cares? The history is going to get rewritten, Mace, and people are going to forget, but the Suns were favored to win the West. The Suns were favored to beat the Nuggets down. No one was really picking the Nuggets. So uh, for for the goalposts to continue to move on what's good and what's great for the Nuggets, I think is ludicrous. And, you know, obviously the Warriors and the Lakers are the brand names ahead, but these are the sixth and seventh seeds. The Nuggets are catching break after break with who they're facing, and a big break was that Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton got hurt, no doubt, but they would have taken care of the Suns either way. So uh, it, there's always going to be something in every playoffs, and right now the Nuggets, for the first time in maybe their franchise's entire existence, are the ones catching the breaks. Yeah, and I think uh, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, also mentioning the seeds for the Warriors and the Lakers because they got to those seeds for 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 reasons, for valid reasons. The Warriors dealing with some injuries and dealing with the, attri- the, the attrition that comes with an aging core that they're trying to rain just a little bit more out of, and the Lakers, an incredibly depth-shy roster. I mean, over over the course of a of a six- or seven-game series against the Lakers, you can see this Nuggets team, even with the rotation shortened to eight guys, you can see this Nuggets team having the ability to wear out the Lakers and wear out an older team uh an older team like the like the Warriors, and you know what? If if the if the world outside of Colorado doesn't see it and says, okay, we're going to expect the brand names to come in and deliver, that's fine. Who cares? I think uh, not that it's not that it's a huge factor, but I think the chip on the shoulder is a factor in what we've seen from this Nuggets team in the postseason. Not you know because when they're on, they when they're on, and, and sometimes it's when they choose to be on. But when they are, they are they are overpowering in a way that we have. I think I'm not sure we've seen it from a Nuggets team since some stretches back in '09. To be honest, yeah, and, and you know, 13, 14 during the regular season comes up a little bit, but it's it's a different level. The Nuggets have never even ha- come close to having a player as great as Jokic. It's it's a different level. I mean, Mace he just averaged a 30 point triple double for an entire playoff series. It's it's absurd. The numbers are gaudy. Uh, he made a mockery of the Suns who, you know, the Phoenix people are, uh, DeAndre Ayton guards Nikola Jokic better than anyone. He's going to be held at 22-6-7. and seven. Like, good luck with that. Uh, and, and I think the, the thing that gets lost is, you know, obviously a lot of our brains in America are, are thought about it at, at football. And I, the Chiefs do this brilliantly where you know their offense is going to score so much that it puts pressure on your offense even though you're not directly facing their offense. Mm-hmm. The thing the Nuggets offense does is they score so many points, 
and you know every time Nikola Jokic is on the floor that the other team is going to get good looks, that it creates such a problem. So the thing is, though, the, the difference between football and basketball here is Every time you score in basketball, you get to set up your defense. So having the Nikola Jokic factor on offense has made the Nuggets defense so much better. And, you know, the pick and roll Nikola Jokic to death narrative that we kept hearing, like, that's dead. Who on the Lakers is going to do that? The Warriors are, they don't have a, a big man who can roll. Like, so... I just don't understand, and I haven't understood for for months now, who people thought was actually going to beat the Nuggets, who they saw as a better team, because the Nuggets have been, by far and away, clearly to me, the best team in the NBA for months. And last night was just the perfect game for both the Nuggets in their season, the perfect game and what it meant for the fan base. And uh, I'm sorry to Al McCoy, but the perfect way to send the Suns packing uh, for the rest of the season uh, into the offseason. Well, yeah, and really down the down the stretch, the last couple months of the season, that the only team that I thought, okay, they can hang with the Nuggets, and it would be a it would be a tough out, was the Milwaukee Bucks, and especially the way Milwaukee was playing at the defensive end for stretches during the regular season, and of course Giannis gets hurt, they melt down, they're out. It feels like, even though you are going to stare down the Lakers or Warriors here in the conference finals, it feels like the path is as clear as it's going to be for the Nuggets. That this is, it's, it's a little bit, a little bit like the Avalanche last year. It just feels like the pieces maybe are aligning for this to be the moment. Yeah, Mason, I think there's a lot of good comparisons with the Avs, uh, and I've been talking about this with Will Peterson off-air the last few days, uh, and, and I didn't really want it to bring on air to jinx it, but I'll, I'll just do it now. Um, the Avalanche went through their entire cup run last year without facing an elimination game. Yeah. The, Nug- no! the Nuggets are halfway there <laughs> and haven't faced an elimination game yet. Uh, there's a chance that the Nuggets and Avs get to back-to-back KSE-sponsored parades without even having the chance of being sent home for the summer. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And just like the Avs, I'm pretty sure the Suns, like the Blues last year in the second round, uh, were the toughest team the Nuggets were going to face. And that team looked like a shell of a good team compared to what the Nuggets are. And again, I, I go back to the team-building thing. They said, let's get these two guys and we'll figure it all out. They couldn't figure it all out. The Nuggets have been steadfast at this and not changing of their plans for years. And it's finally paying dividends. And for all of the people that have been fans of this team, which, by the way, is the second oldest team in this market, uh, for years and years and have seen misery after misery and have been blessed by this second-round pick from Sambor, Serbia, turning into one of the greatest basketball players of all time, and have sat through the Gary Harris games like I did and, you know, the Bernie Bickerstaff eras. Like, it's so rewarding, I think, even more so, Mace, that we didn't bring in a mercenary. We didn't bring in a Kawhi Leonard. It's getting done with the guys that made us fall in love with this team to begin with. Yeah, I think that's a great point, that this is – this is not whatever happens it wasn't bought it feels authentic it like and you when you went through the hard times and went through the building i mean you know and it wasn't just the playoff failures it's losing game 82 in minnesota you know back back in you know back five years ago right it's it's all of that and, and, and seeing it come together kind of piece by piece. And also, a lesson here, if the if this Nuggets team can cash in on, on its promise and win it all, a lesson here is that the path, it's never linear, right? It's, there, it's, it's, it's never straight ahead, all, you know, getting better and better and winning it all. There are, there are bumps there are backslides. I mean, you, you think back to uh, the, the obvious backslide of Jamal getting hurt two years ago and then being and being swept out of the playoffs by the Suns. The Suns, you know, every time you beat the Suns in the playoffs, I feel like an angel gets their wings because <laughs> that because 
that means Suns in four guy is crying, right? I mean, you know how many shots Devin Booker yeah. hit last night, right, Mace? Four, four. It's it's <laughs> exactly. just so perfect. It was, it was beautiful. It was it, everything about it was beautiful. But it, for those who have followed the team, you mentioned second oldest team in the market. Never, never even been to the NBA Finals. Only once have been to the fine a finals and that was the last year of the aba back in 1976 losing to the then new york nets in six games it has been i think nuggets um nuggets frustration nuggets angst it's not something that gets attention around the country the way it does for some other teams. Like, I mean, you know, everyone knows Knicks fans are tortured, right? Everyone knows that Toronto Maple Leafs fans are tortured. But nobody talks about the Denver Nuggets, even though they haven't even made an NBA Finals, let, have, let alone won one. And, oh, by the way, most of their history, they've been a pretty solid contender. I mean, you've got, you've got the, of course, the years in the 90s uh, after, you know, or early on the Paul Westhead era, the, you know, when they were trying to run and gun and got, run and, got ran and gunned out of every building. And then uh, the late 90s into the 2000s, Dan Issel, you know, trying to coach, et cetera. But I get what you're saying because we've had a Most of their history, most of their yeah, most generational star every single decade, basically. Thompson, yes. English, and then you just you go without it in the 90s, and then you get mellow, and then towards the end of the, the teens, it's Jokic into the 20s now. So mm-hmm. I'm totally with you, Mace. Um, and I thought one of the things Jokic said that was just fascinating and like kind of heartwarming last night was he said uh, about Jamal Murray, I couldn't have a better partner to be on this journey with. And, and it just hit me. As a Nuggets fan, it's like, yeah, this is a journey, and these two are together. Malone said something fascinating last night. I wrote about this on DenverSports.com. Quote, it seems like for years now we're just some dusty old cow town in the Rocky Mountains with the little respect that we get. And you can sit there and fight it and complain about it, or you can just embrace who we are and what we have. And until we win a championship, people are going to keep saying that about us. So that's what drives us, winning a championship. Getting to the Western Conference Finals doesn't do it. Getting to the Finals doesn't do it. Winning a championship. And that's something that we can all savor and enjoy and embrace and something that they won't be able to take from us and something that motivates us on a day-to-day basis. I thought that was really well said. The full quote's up on denversports.com. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Jake Shapiro. We're going to come back with some Broncos talk. Mace, I think me and you are different on the schedule where we're at on this, uh, the listeners are gotta gotta find out. Jake Shapiro, Andrew Mason here with you, rocking on a Friday. Broncos schedule came out last night, and our senior Broncos writer Andrew Mason is here to tell you all you need to know about the Denver Broncos schedule for their 64th season. Uh, I read on denversports.com your five storylines for the 2023 schedule, uh, season that came out of the schedule release. I found this story to be really helpful in terms of just uh, breaking it down. Let's just start at the top, Mace. You think the Broncos are positioned for a fast start this year the way the schedule broke out for them? Yeah, you get the first two games at home, Las Vegas and Washington, a couple of teams with losing records. And, yeah, look, I get the Raiders have owned the Broncos in recent years. They've got, uh, I believe it's six wins in succession. Uh, Broncos' last win was back uh, last game of the 2019 season in that series. But the game, the both games last year could have gone either way, and you could argue they could have gone either way and could have gone the Broncos' way. Uh, if not for Melvin Gordon, because he had fumbles in both those games. And Melvin Gordon's not in the equation anymore. You've moved on at the running back position. So I don't think the gulf between the Broncos and Raiders is all that great. And you could argue that maybe they slightly downgraded a quarterback with Jimmy Garoppolo. Either way, he's going to be getting used to uh, to a new situation there with the Raiders. They don't have Darren Waller at tight end anymore. I think the, So I think you can argue that that maybe the offense isn't quite as explosive as it was last year and just so looking at that I think that's a very winnable game to start the Sean Payton era and then you go to week two Washington Sam Howell that'll be his third career start on all likelihood after he started the season finale last year he's still going to be learning the ropes 
I think it just sets up perfectly for the Broncos to to break out of the blocks 2-0. and And usually for Sean Payton, 2-0 has meant really good things. Yeah, Mason, and what's fun here for Broncos fans as well, and I think good as we're in the anonymous donors era, is both of these games are Sunday in the middle of the afternoon, 225 kicks. So they should be games that the Broncos can win and are relatively unimportant on the national scale, which probably is going to be a good way for them to start the season. It is. Like, you know, it's something we were talking about a lot before the schedule came out. How many primetime games are there going to be? Or is it going to be a bunch of uh, uh, 11 a.m. kickoffs on the road and 2.05 and 2.25 kickoffs at home? I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to open quietly. And in fact, the Broncos, they're not going to see prime time until week six, Thursday night football at Kansas City. So they've got a chance to kind of work to ease their way into a prominent role. I mean, really, I would say the first game, even though you get Miami in week three and Miami is a playoff contender, but the first game that looks like any kind of spotlight game is probably the fifth game of the season against the New York Jets, and even that's a Sunday afternoon kickoff. I think uh, you kind of, I think you kind of nailed something there that I think is probably going to help this team and, and put the team in the right uh, in the right mindset rather than going out there on the primetime stage where they wilted so often last year. Yeah, and I think that Miami game will be uh, tough. It's funny because their preseason, Arizona is a snoozer. San Francisco will be interesting. It always is. And uh, the Rams, uh, who knows what that team looks like, but probably not much. So even their preseason is relatively anonymous. Uh, that third game, I think, will be really interesting for Broncos and Dolphins fans, but not at a national scale. Uh, you'll probably still have Tua Tungavailoa not injured yet in that game. You'll have Mike McDaniel, who, by the way, is courtside right now at the Heat game wearing all white. Um, kind of a big deal. <laughs> impossible to miss. Uh, the guy who I still think should be coaching the Denver Broncos uh, against Sean Payton. And then week four, you've got the Chicago Bears led by Jalen Hurts. And that team might end up being really good. It might be a disaster. They were a terrible team last year. But ultimately, even if you're you're two and two, uh, coming home to face the Jets and whatever that looks like. I don't think that that's the worst start in the world, particularly considering where the Broncos were last year. And then you're likely, you know, the the window for Javante Williams coming back probably opens sometime in October, I'm guessing, Mace? Yeah, I think so. If you, if you have him on the pup list, you're talking about him being available, uh, I believe it would be... Um, by the Packers game, if I'm not mistaken, because after six games. But if the Broncos have him on the 53-player roster at the start of the year, they could bring him back wherever, whenever they want to. But if they take, if they do choose to ease him back, you're looking at him toward the end of October. And I think, and I don't, and again, I think that would be a positive if they sit, if they just let him work his way back slowly and then, be fresh when you're getting to the point of the schedule where you really need a running back who can pound at you. You mentioned you mentioned Miami a, a minute or so ago, and um, one thing that's dangerous about that, first of all, you don't like going to the heat and humidity, but second of all, looking at Miami's opening two games, they face the Chargers and Patriots on the road. It's Oof. the home opener. Chargers, they're, you know, they were a playoff team last year. I'm fascinated to see how that offense looks with Kellen Moore coming over from Dallas to well, call the plays. And, and you have to yeah. mention, Mace, that the Dolphins and Chargers have a lot of heat between the two because of mm -hmm. the Tua Herbert draft class. So that's going to be a very emotional game, as will be the Patriots game for them because of their division rivals. And, of course, also that Patriots game in Foxborough, they're honoring Tom Brady. And so there's going to be a little <laughs> extra juice from the Pats in that game with TB12 be, being back in the building. By the way, did you see how at the end of the Patriots schedule release yes. that Tom made a cameo? That that was the moment where it just seems like after he was away for three years in Florida, he's come back home and all all is right with the world in Foxborough. Tom is, you know, part of the family again, blah, blah, blah. But I love Tom Brady. 
<laughs> exactly. But is Miami, it's not inconceivable that Miami is 0-2 going into that game in week three, and the Broncos are 2-0, and and that's dangerous for the Broncos because it's a, the, the Dolphins are a good team, even if they start off 0-2, but they would also be a desperate team. So that's one... That's one where I, I think going into the season, I expect that Dolphin game to be a loss. And then you look at that trip to Chicago in week four is maybe being one of those games that could swing either way mm-hmm. and could well determine whether this Bronco team can exceed expectations this year or not. And just looking at where Justin Fields and the, the, the Bears will be, uh, the start of their schedule is Packers at Bucks at Chiefs. So they could very well be two and one in their one loss yeah. just came against the Chiefs in week three. So they could be coming in playing well and angry. So uh, uh, that's why I kind of was like, uh, two and two start might not be that bad. Uh, second point you mentioned, and we'll start this point. You said they didn't fall far from the spotlight, and you talked about this a little bit. I kind of disagree with you a little bit here. Um, yes, the Broncos are getting far fewer primetime games um, in the first half of their schedule, and then in the second half you get some par- primetime games. But they've got what, Mace, four primetime games? They have four primetime games and the possibility for another national window game uh, in Week 15 in Detroit because that could be moved to Saturday. Okay, and, and the reason I disagree with you is because their Sunday night football game in Week 11 against Minnesota, that's the first week where the NFL can just flex whatever they want. So there's a high chance that that game gets flexed. Well, I wouldn't say a high chance of it being flexed. Like, for, for the NFL to flex, it's actually a pretty high threshold in order to do that. Because, like, if both the Broncos... And Vikings, because that is uh, each team is going to have, I believe, nine games under the belt. If you're talking about a couple of teams that are five and four, four and five, they're not going to flex it. But it would take probably one or both of those teams being bad. Like last year, when the Broncos got flexed out in December, hosting the Chiefs, it was because the Broncos were such a bad team, and in particular, had been lousy and unwatchable in prime time. So. I don't think they flex out of that game unless both the Broncos and the Vikings are in that three and six, two and seven type range. And even though I think the Vikings are are due for some regression after winning a lot of close games last year, I don't think they're going to be at the point where we're saying, okay, that game's going to be flexed out. I think that's going to stay in prime time. Okay, I, I could see it going either way on that one, but that's why I'm cautious on like, and obviously towards the later part of the season with Saturday games and, you know, there's more opportunities for primetime, but it is very different than last year where you're coming out on primetime and it's primetime, primetime, primetime uh, the first few weeks of the season before you get to the Sunday afternoon home kickoffs, basically. But in the middle of this Broncos season, there's a big hump in the schedule, and we're going to talk about it mm-hmm. next. Ted Lasso, Mace, talking Denver Broncos this week. I know you saw that. You wrote about it on denversports.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't uh, – uh, there was part of it that wasn't the nicest reference to the Broncos. Garbage bleep team, I believe he called them. But, hey, <laughs> we know Ted Lasso's a Kansas City guy, which means he's got to be a Chiefs fan. I get why he'd feel – I get why he'd feel that way, although it was a – it, it was it was a good scene. It was a, it was a good reference. But um, I'll tell you what. Another thing I was thinking as we're playing that song, you know, the Broncos, of course, on their schedule release, did um, a reference to The Office. Yep. And I wonder if maybe the off we're just too far past The Office to have an homage to that show be something relevant, and maybe the Broncos should have try to do some kind of Ted Lasso type of reference. Who's to say? Ted Lasso's a good one. Uh, I thought The Office was very dated, and I I did not like the Broncos schedule release video at all. Um, And, you know, I I grew up watching The Office. The Office's final uh, episode was on, I think, like three days after I graduated high school, and, like, that made me tear up and, like, realize my life was changing. 
Um, so, you know, I, I grew up a big office fan and I just, I didn't like what the Broncos did with that schedule release video. I know it's been talked about on our airways. I know your, your reaction Mace is going to be to jump out and say, Oh yeah, I loved it. That Titans video was fantastic. Oh, the, the, the thing is the Titans did two videos. Like it's almost like they didn't have quite as much confidence in the person on the street interviews as they should have because they did a traditional video with a drone and you know going along broadway and you know country music celebrities blah 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 and it had a small fraction of the views and engagement as something that looked like it it had the the simplest production values you know just a camera and not even like a professional mic it was like one it was one of those little like 20 dollar mics you buy down at best buy Right. And um, just asking people, you know, what they what they thought the team name was to go with each logo. Um, But I think one thing that I can say for some of these schedule release videos is that sometimes simple is better. And I and the fact that the one that we're talking about today looks like it had the least in terms of production values and effort involved, I think maybe uh, maybe says a little something about how these schedule videos that teams have done are almost becoming a little bit too much. Like the thing with the Broncos, I thought they, I thought it tried just a bit too hard compared to the previous two Peyton Manning ones. And other, other thing is also, why are you turning Peyton Manning into a, into a supporting actor in this? I mean, if you've got Peyton Manning, he wants it and he wants to do it. He should be front and center. They, after the first minute of the video, we barely saw Peyton Manning. It was like something, it was the office and I, I was like, that was okay and fine, but um, it didn't really feel like a Broncos thing, you know? Whereas the Peyton Manning ones in previous years, you got John Elway. You got Adam Schefter popping on, who, of course, covered the Broncos for a long time. Those felt like the Denver Broncos videos. This felt like just something that was oddly out of place. It lacked vision, and it was cheap, and they took the badge and the gun from the sheriff. <laughs> um, What's the? I don't think it was cheap. That I mean. Well, I, I think it was. I thought it was. It's cheap in the way it was considered. I think they spent a lot of money on it, but I don't think it was really well thought out. I think it was cheap in terms of how much month, time they budgeted to thinking of this idea. That's that's fair. And 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 if you're you're flying you're flying an actress in, um, the actress Angela Kinsey who played Angela on The Office. I mean. It clearly you looked at it like this has got some production value to it, and there was a lot of effort put into it. But uh, sometimes you can push a little bit too hard, and I felt like it pushed a, it pushed a little bit too, it pushed a little bit too hard. Whereas the Titans just it was you know felt like low effort. You just kind of turn the camera on and let people take it the rest the rest of the way. And then um, the other one that I liked, even though there was a lot of effort in this one. Uh, the Chargers going back to the Fantastic. anime well. And the thing is, Mac was saying this morning on Coffee Break that he didn't really latch on to it because it was anime. I don't think you have to be an anime fan. I'm not an anime fan. But it's the references, the football references within it. I think, And I think that's sort of a key thing to it is that even though it's anime, it was about football and about stuff going on with the teams so like when they get to the broncos one of the two one one of them has russell wilson with a spatula facing off with patrick Starr, which harkens back to that christmas game last year and then for the other bronco game it's sean it's a it's a horse wearing a cap that says sean on it in russell wilson's office with a sledgehammer basically destroying the place. And so that's one of the reasons why I thought the Chargers delivered is they kind of, is even though it's anime, they kept it focused on the sport and what they do. Like you, whereas with the Broncos, if you weren't a fan of the office, that was going to leave you really cold. The Chargers, I thought, were able to touch people who weren't anime fans because it was a football, because ultimately it was about the football. Hey, so, Mace, anyway, guys, that's my film criticism. Oh, I agree that the Broncos fell flat, 
But how are we not talking about the Jaguars one? I thought it was hilarious with all the pre-scripted things being talked about over the past year, how everything was planned. I thought the Jaguars did a phenomenal job of sending out their uh, schedule release. That was one. That was also one that got that that got a lot of play as well. Um, and I'm not surprised it, it, that the the guy who owns yeah. the wrestling company was also able to script something that was so great. Well, the funny thing, it's funny that you mentioned wrestling because the Browns went for like a, a, a what they called like dog pound wrestling. They turned every opponent into a wrestling villain, and honestly, like I thought it just went on way too long. And like, some, and that's another thing. Some of these videos. They're like four, five, six minutes, and it's like, okay, I'm going to ask the question that Millhouse asked once watching Poochie. When are we getting to the fireworks factory? When are we getting the schedule? And so, some of these videos about like thir- about 60 to 90 seconds in, I'm like, okay, if I fast forward here, are they going to show the schedule at the end of it? Um and uh, but that's also me kind of being old school. I'm like, what's the point of this? Show the schedule. Show the schedule. So, um, yeah, I thought it's the 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 Broncos one. I hope I don't mind if they go back to the Peyton Manning well, but I, if they do, I hope they focus on Peyton Manning and not uh, some act some some celebrity parachuting in. You've got a minute here, Mace, but who is the celebrity? that the Broncos or or celebrity or former team player that the Broncos need to go to now that the Peyton trilogy is over. Who's going to be that guy that takes the totem or they just got to go a complete new motto with the the schedule release videos moving forward. I'll tell you what, it's a, there's a show that's still on. That's very Colorado with call with two Bronco fans, Colorado people behind it. I would get Trey Parker, Matt Stone, South Park involved somehow, some way. Yeah, didn't that's taste very good. Th- that's a good idea. Those two were, uh, those two were. I think my commencement speakers up at CU. I don't remember <laughs> much of that day. That's Mace. awesome. It was a fun day. <laughs> uh, congrats to a lot of my students who graduated uh, yesterday. Um, we didn't get to it, but there is a hump in the middle of the Broncos' schedule, and Mace also has a key based off the schedule. If the Broncos are going to be a playoff team, they must do this. But first the start of the next hour, I'm going to tell you why Nikola Jokic and Michael Jordan have a lot of comparisons. There's always a funny man. Oh, Mace, Sammy Davis Jr. on a Friday, praising our man, the Joker. Uh, can't get enough of Nikola Jokic, and he can't get enough of the pool. He's at the pool right now. Me and Mace headed for the pool in a half hour. But we've got a half hour with you first. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit more Broncos schedule stuff towards the end of this segment. But I I needed to get back to Nicole Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. And I wrote about this last night for denversports.com. And I really wanted to share the audio with everybody because there's so many things similar with the way Nicole Jokic is perceived both locally and nationally and the Denver Nuggets both locally and nationally to the way the Chicago Bulls were in 1991. And... If you don't believe me and you're like, oh, I watched the the Jordan, I read the Jordan rules and I watched the Jordan doc on ESPN and, you know, all that mythology, that mythology didn't exist until Jordan won his first championship in 1991 against the Lakers. And this is what Marv Albert on NBC said for a Bulls Cavs game before the playoffs in 1991. The ultimate achievement in any sports career is to lead your team to the championship. Yet it is a plateau never reached by some of sport's greatest. O.J. Simpson, the first running back to break the 2,000-yard barrier. This one-man highlight film compiled five consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. Yet he never had a single moment in the Super Bowl. Ernie Banks, one of the greatest hitting shortstops of all time. Back-to-back MVPs. Mr. Cub would never be Mr. World Series. Bob Lanier battled all of the premier big men from Willis Reed to Dave Cowens, Bill Russell to Will Chamberlain, but he never made the trip to the NBA Finals. And Michael Jordan, his visions of playing in the Finals have yet to be seen. One of basketball's most remarkable players, the seven-time All-Star, is still in search of the greatest challenge of his career. Will this be the year that Michael Jordan reaches that ultimate goal? So I'm going to ask you, will this be the year Nikola Jokic reaches that ultimate goal? But 
I, I just want to take you back because, Mace, you were alive. I, I wasn't, uh, and I don't mean to date you, but it, it's kind of remarkable as a young person who's quite literally named after Michael Jordan to hear him talked about in a way that is to the other non-championship great players. And that was his legacy for a long time, right, Mace? It was. Um, and really, I mean, it's interesting to look at the legacy of some athletes and how how it can change on a dime. Like, nobody thinks of Peyton Manning t- today as somebody who couldn't get it done. Yet, I remember being in Indianapolis for a Broncos at Colts playoff game in January of 04. And at that point, Peyton Manning had never even won a playoff game, let alone gone to a Super Bowl. And it was like, well, it's Peyton Manning. It's year six. Is he ever going to win the playoffs? Is he getting, you know, Mr. Regular Season, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're, the narratives really are funny because you can be defined by a narrative for a long time. And then once you're past it, it's gone forever, right? And, you know, Michael Jordan, that was, 91 was his seventh season in the NBA. The first six, he'd... You know, he, he'd gotten as far as the conference finals twice, uh, losing the Detroit Pistons both times. And, yeah, it was a legitimate question. Okay, hey, Magic Johnson won as a rookie. Uh, Larry Bird won in year two with the Boston Celtics. Um, uh, I believe uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won in his second season in, with the Milwaukee Bucks before eventually went on to the Lakers. So the way it was, so it was like, okay, is he ever going to, get over the hump. It's really crazy to think about that in retrospect, but that really was a narrative. And so when Peyton Manning was coming along, honestly, I thought of Michael Jordan and thought, you know, I remember when people used to say that about him and then he overturned that. And no one ever said that again. And so, you know, with Nicole Jokic, I we're, we're seeing it said now. And if this Nuggets team lives up to everything it possesses and goes all the way, you'll never have to hear it again. It's really interesting you mentioned Peyton, and, and I haven't really drawn the comparisons between Nicola and Peyton. Um, but I also I grew up, you know, as a football fan, and I my whole life it was Peyton wasn't the guy. You know, Peyton Tom Brady was the guy. Peyton's a regular season player. Um, There's something I remembered today is that Nicole Jokic was asked in an interview in like 2018 if he practices the accuracy of his passes, and he said no. I just the ball goes wherever I want it to. And you think about the way Nikola Jokic processes the game of basketball at speed, and all of those statements and the way Nikola Jokic is perceived, it really draws a lot of comparisons to Peyton Manning. Yeah, um, right down to multiple MVPs, right, or relatively early in his career. Um, I think, uh, I think, I think, if if I'm not mistaken, Peyton Manning, uh, I think he, uh, I think he had two MVPs before he before he even played in the Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and sometimes, and then you get tagged with that, like, okay, you're just some, you're somebody who's good in the regular season, but, oh, we can't go to another level, blah, blah, blah. Whereas, I mean, I think with Nicole Jokic, I, that narrative, if it was out there, I think was sort of, was sort of ridiculous, but, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting to think about the parallels that they, that they have, uh, right down to the fact that in both cases, they are very consistent over the long haul. I mean, with Nikola Jokic, to me, the thing that, that stands out to, about watching him is that very rarely do you look at a Jokic game and say, okay, that was just a bad game for him because he's so versatile and can do so many things that if the shots aren't falling, okay, that's going to be a night he gets 14 or 15 rebounds and 12 assists, right? That's uh, the, the genius of Jokic is that he has this, innate ability to when he's not sizzling from the floor to find other ways to make a positive contribution and also because he seems to see things differently than any other player he, he's he, he's got a different vision an exceptional vision an exceptional mind for the game and the exceptional vision exceptional mind are also things that Peyton Manning had in the football sense so yeah like it's sort of I I hadn't really done a lot of thinking about Jokic and Peyton before this, but they do have quite a bit in common. And another thing they have in common 
is that people kind of mocked them physically because they weren't yes. the Adonises that you normally see in their sports. Underestimated and mocked. Uh, you got me on the tangent with Peyton, and you're the perfect person to talk about Peyton. <laughs> um, but I, I meant to start this with Jordan because, like, I guess Peyton and Jordan, before they won their first titles, Nikola Jokic won two MVPs. Nikola had mm-hmm. five All-Stars to Michael's seven. Nikola's played eight years to Michael's seven. Uh, like Mike, Nikola's path uh, is going to be paved in respect this time of year, but it goes deeper than that, Mace. The Bulls were largely mocked as a franchise until 1991 when they won their first mm-hmm. title. They had went to the conference championship game four or conference uh, finals four different times, including two with Jordan, but they always crashed out. They had never been in the NBA finals. And I think because it was Jordan who had never done it and the Bulls who had never done it, they never got the respect of Bird and Magic with the Celtics and, and Lakers because those teams, those brands had done it. So I think because the Nuggets haven't done it, because Jokic hasn't done it, I think there's a lot of the same feels that when you look back at that shot of time where Jordan was clearly the best player in the league but didn't yet have the ring, so could you call him the best player in the league? I feel like we're exactly in that slice of time with Nikola Jokic, and he's going to have a chance this year to do the legacy thing, to do the thing that makes him, okay, you've gone from one of the great players in the league to one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, and it changes. It would change everything forever for not only him, but you mentioned the Nuggets. Like, because you talk about the Bulls, the Bulls before Michael Jordan got there, they'd, you know, they'd had two franchise legends. The late Jerry Sloan, of course, was a great coach in Utah for a long time, and Bob Butterbean Love. You, you know, can't forget Jake, Artis I'm Gilmore. Sure. Come on. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> Not only a great center, but a top five Afro. Facts. In the history of the sports. In the history of sports. And anyone who, Although, former, anyone who played for the uh, Kentucky Colonels at one point gets some love in my heart. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's right. He was an ABA guy. Um, the funny thing is I seem to remember more artists Gilmore more as a San Antonio Spur than a Chicago Bull. But um, – because uh, they had some that was they had some good teams in the early '80s. Get you had Artis Gilmore and George Iceman Gervin there, and uh, and, yeah, and and Gene Banks a pretty as a as a pretty good small forward. But I digress. Um, yeah, you you're defined by and maybe even you're you're defined by you're a captive to your reputation. But then the moment you get it done, the moment you win a championship, it's remarkable. It all changes forever. I mean. It, you know the the Broncos, are they are they remembered? In John Elway, is John Elway remembered for losing Super Bowls? No, he's remembered for winning the two at the end. And it's so funny because the Bron- there's that viral yeah. Simpsons clip that always goes around. Mace, it's like, oh, the Denver mm-hmm. Broncos, they stink, and that came out before they won the two Super Bowls. Right, and like they, that's and that's not the only time the Simpsons in the early '90s mocked the Denver Broncos. It was something they came back to. I believe three times over about a five-year span that they made the Denver Broncos the butt of a joke, a punchline, and that and and the, and that is how, in the zeitgeist, they were perceived in that way. Now the Nuggets, obviously, uh, their lot in life has been to be fairly anonymous outside of the Rocky Mountain region, right? I mean. Um, you know, maybe, uh, if you're back East, uh, you know, in the nineties or 2000, you may say, Oh, the McNuggets, ha ha ha, you know, McNichols arena, McNuggets, blah, blah, you know, it's, but they, the Nuggets did not have a real, a real national identity. They've just kind of gone about their business relatively quietly, but they're, misfortune and heartbreak has been something that has been a regional story and not something that captured the imagination of the nation and captured the imagination of, you know, script writers and, and whatnot. But that doesn't mean it's, it's no less, it's, it's no less painful for Nuggets fans yet. If they can get it done here in the next several weeks, there's a lot of things that you're never going to have to hear again. And honestly, that's, you know, I don't just pull for the Nuggets because I want to see another championship here in the Mile High City. I pull for them because I feel like 
the diehard Nuggets fans have absolutely paid their dues and then some. The team deserves it. Nuggets fans deserve it even more. Talk about paying your dues. Uh, the Broncos are going to pay their dues in the middle of the season, Mace. Uh, you talked about there being a hump in the middle of the season. You talked about it being from week five to week 11. I think you can just shine a spotlight even between week eight, the bye week nine, and then week 10. Uh, Kansas City at home and then Buffalo on the road right after the bye. I think, at least in my thought, when the schedule first dropped and I saw it, we are going to know what kind of team the Denver Broncos are in that three-week stretch. Kansas City, mm-hmm. the review of the first half, and then how they come out in Buffalo. I think their season will be defined largely by those by that three weeks in those two games. Yeah, and I think that's a great take, Jake, especially with that being the second Kansas City game. First one's at Arrowhead on Thursday night. I think probably very few people outside of the Broncos locker room expect that that team's going to win that game. But you're going to turn around and see, and and you're going to see them in, you know, in what, in 17 days after that game at Arrowhead. You've only got one game in between. It's like, it's, it's like a champions league, uh, two legged tie, right? Yeah. You play a team, then you go play another game, and then you come back and play that team With a again. little Caribou Cup match in the middle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nice pull, by the way. I, I was I was just going to say a league match, but, you know, going for a little bit of a deeper cup, cut there. <laughs> but the thing that w- inevitably we see is it's almost like a long game, a game that has an extra long halftime, right? It, those those ties in in the Champions League and uh, in in other in other soccer tournaments, um, they fe- it, it basically feels like a like a two act play like an like an extended game, mm-hmm. and 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 then and it's then it's just a matter of what do you do to adjust. I was telling this to Cecil Lamy on Orange and Blue today this afternoon. If you had some of the Broncos' recent coaches post Gary Kubiak, I would not have a lot of confidence in the adjustments that you're making between games here. But with Sean Payton going against Andy Reid and matching wits and playing that chess game, I feel like the Broncos have a puncher's chance coming back here for that second game in Denver. They make the adjustments, and if they... And if they win that, like you talk about the, the, the hump, the three-week hump, Chiefs at home, bye, at the Bills. If they win that Chiefs game, I feel much better about whatever happens. If they lose that Chiefs game, we're going to learn just how resilient this team is because if they lose at home to the Chiefs, it's it's reasonably likely that they would have been swept by the Chiefs in the two, in two of the three games leading up to that bye. What's their response? Do they come out fighting after the bye, rested, ready to go to pull off an upset? Or is it more of the same old Broncos that we've seen in the past few years? You're absolutely right. We're going to get we're going to get our answers in that hump right there surrounding the bye. Yeah, and I think you're dead on and it's crazy to expect that the that the Broncos are going to go in on a short week, especially after the emotion that is going to be the Jets game and go in on a short week and try and win in Kansas City. You know, and if the if the Broncos can't pull it off in week eight, you're looking at that fifteen game losing streak being seventeen. That's a real possibility. Um, hopefully you're able to just go all out with a bye week and an extra day uh following. But we'll see. And you know, the the big part of that second half of the schedule with the bye being week nine is and and granted, you know, you could make the case that the Broncos got a little boned here, you know, it didn't work out their way. But three road games in a row, I don't think it's all that bad because all of them are dome games. So it's not like you're going to play three road games um, in, you know, Pittsburgh and Baltimore and Chicago. I think you actually caught a break. You're playing Chicago best time of year. Miami is the really only tough weather game. I mean, I guess Buffalo in early November could be bad. But realistically, the Miami game with how hot that's going to be in September is the only real bad weather game. Like, the Broncos caught a lot of breaks. So even though they got a three-game road trip of three straight on the road, 
I don't think it's all that bad because at least you're staying indoors. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, two two game retractable roof, carport roof, and then fixed roof in Detroit. The only thing is, whether it's been a dome or open air, three game road trips are tough. And even though you're coming back after each one, there have been some terrific Bronco teams that came up small in three game road trips. In fact, you have to go back to 1967 for the last time the Broncos went on a three game road swing and had even a winning record. Wow. That every other time they've had a three game road swing, they've had a losing record, including in the year they won Super Bowl 32. They went one and two, winning at San Diego, losing at Pittsburgh, losing at San Francisco in a three-game road swing in December of that season. They also went one and two in a 2014 three-game road swing that was Oakland, New England, um, and St. Louis um, back when the Rams played there. So even good Broncos teams have struggled and been below 500 when having that sort of road that road, road swing. And so even though you look at the matchups and look at, uh, you know, not having to deal with the, the elements as being a positive here, that doesn't mean it's going to be a cakewalk. And my goodness, that Detroit game, if the Lions are what a lot of people expect them to be, Jake, you're going to be going, pardon the pun, into the Lions' den, <laughs> a crowd that might be amped for a team that could be about to make its first playoff appearance in seven years and uh, maybe maybe having a chance to win the division for the, the first time since, oh my gosh, I think uh, 1993 was the last time a Lions team won a Correct. division. Correct. Good memory. Oh, wow. Yeah. Barry Sanders. And then you know what that team did in the first round? They lost to Green Bay. Yep. The last time they won a playoff game was 1991. Yep. That's and that is, I believe, their only playoff win since 1957. Wow, amazing! So, if the Lions are what people expect them to be, and and this is actually a really talented team, I could even say uh, they're facing the Chiefs in Week One, and obviously the Chiefs have a massive advantage at the quarterback position. But overall roster, I think the Lions have a really good have put together a really good, really talented roster. So if they're delivering by that point, you have to go into Detroit in December. Uh, and, and you're hoping to come out with a win, that may be one of the, the, the toughest things you face. The key to that, I think, you want to if you want to win either against Houston or against the Chargers, and Houston's one of those teams that they're so hard to figure because if C.J. Stroud is playing well, then that'll give him a chance against anybody. Yeah. But we don't know what C.J. Stroud is going to look like this year at all. And there, there are a few games like that on the schedule. We're talking about the unknown at quarterback. Jordan Love when Green Bay comes in. Sam Howell when Washington comes in in, in week two. Um, who, the, who the heck are the Patriots going to be playing in quarterback by week 16? You know, it, even that. It might be Bailey Zappi by that point. Actually, that's a game where I wish the Broncos were getting the Patriots early rather than late. Mm. Because I think the Patriots... Clearly, Bill Belichick seems to favor Zappi, but they're going to let Mac Jones compete. And it's I think the Patriots are still going to be in that hazy situation figuring things out. I think by the time they get to Christmas Eve, they're going to know who their quarterback is and have certainty and have certainty there, at least for this season. And because of that, I, w- I, I wish the Broncos were actually getting the Patriots early rather rather than the Dolphins early. I would have loved to have had the Dolphins later on the season. But, you know, in schedules, you don't always get what you want. Yeah, uh, I think you you talk about that Detroit game a little bit. I think that's one of the two toughest games on the Broncos' schedule. I talked about at Kansas City on a short week after you had an emotional game. And then I think at Detroit's going to be just really, really tough to end a three-game road trip. I actually, you know, and it's tough because it's not like they're all out on the East Coast or you can stay there. You're bouncing all across the country for that three-game road trip as well. Uh, You wrote that by the end of that Detroit game, heading into Christmas Eve, that the Broncos must have eight wins by that portion of the schedule. Um, So going into their last three games, you want them at eight wins in order to make the playoffs. Do you think that they are realistically going to be Oh, I, I guess what eight and six at that point, Mace. What would the record be? Yeah, yeah, it'd be eight and six. I think it starts 
by not frittering away the games where you should win, where you're you've got more than a 50% chance. So I think the starting point is you got to beat Vegas and Washington at home to start the season. You got to beat Chicago. You got to beat Green Bay at home. And at the start of that three-game road swing, you got to beat Houston. If you take care of those five, I think you can find three wins from those other nine games that are pretty tough. We go with the Chiefs twice, the Dolphins, the, uh, the Jets at home, the Vikings, the, the Browns, because, look, Deshaun Watson's probably going to be much closer to where he was in Houston than he was last year, uh, stepping in at the end of the season and trying to kind of feel to feel his way around. So, if you, it, it's a simple cliche, Jake, but I think if you win the games that you should win, I think you, I think you're going to be able to sit there and go into those last three games and say, you know what, we got two at home. The road game is in Vegas where we've already got a win over them in the back pocket and maybe Vegas is playing out the string by that point. You feel pretty good about your chances to get two wins in those three games and be a playoff team. But I think that's a key. Eight wins before Christmas Eve. If they do that, I think the Broncos will play deep into January. Okay, I got to go on a personal note for you, Mace. Uh, You've got... At Miami Hard Rock, at Chicago Soldier, at Kansas City, at Buffalo Highmark, at Houston NRG, at LA, SoFi, at Detroit Ford, at Las Vegas Alliance Stadium. We both are big baseball people. We love to cross stadiums off our list. Uh, this schedule is a little interesting because the Broncos, I think this might be their first uh, visit to Hard Rock since it's been renovated. Uh, they'll visit mm-hmm. Soldier Field perhaps for the last time, as well as Highmark Stadium for the last time. What's the trip that you're looking forward to taking, either to cross a stadium off the list or to to visit that city? You got about uh, 30, 40 seconds here. Okay. Personally, I'm looking forward to to the Miami trip because, hey, you get a little sun, sunshine. By the way, for those who want to cross off a ballpark, uh, if you've never been to, to Lone Depot Park in Miami, the Marlins are hosting the Milwaukee Brewers that weekend. That was, by the way, one of the first things I checked. I always check the baseball schedule. So I'd say Miami, get down there. That's a great trip. But if you want to get taken in a really fun environment, Buffalo Highmark Stadium, Monday night, that crowd's going to be lit, partying all day. It's going to be a raucous environment in Orchard Park for that game. Maze, I might have to come with you on that road trip, but like not as a credential <laughs> media member, just for fun. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'd make it to kickoff time. Uh, those people are on a different level than me. Uh, check out where Andrew Mason thinks the hump is on the Denver Broncos schedule on denversports.com. He broke it down way more eloquently than I ever could on our website. Mace, any fun plans for the weekend real quick? Uh, you know what? Just going to watch a couple of baseball games and uh, watch, watch, some, watch some playoff action. Otherwise, chill and then uh, be monitoring Broncos press conferences because we're going to hear from Sean Payton tomorrow. All right, buddy. Enjoy that. Uh, I'm glad you're working on Saturday. I'm finally off because the Nuggets took care of business. (laughs) So I hope not to talk to you till Monday, and I hope you have a nice weekend, buddy. Thanks for listening to Denver Sports Tonight. I'm Jake Shapiro. He's Andrew Mason. Read our website. My lovely lady lumps. Check it out.